This is The Unholy Union. A podcast where you'll be subjected to highly offensive marital discourse. If you do not feel insulted during this week's episode, don't worry, we'll try harder next week. If you can relate to our ramblings, we want to be friends with you. If you believe that we take it too far or our mouths are too much for you, then with as much love and sincerity as we can muster, you can suck it. Welcome to The Unholy Union. Here we go with the new interview. Yes, after a break or two. <laughs> we were we were working on some stuff to bring some interviewers on and interviewers? No. Interviewees. <laughs> interviewees. On. There you go. <laughs> and we kind of told you about this one last episode. And this is uh Charlie Marks from Charlie Marks Music. He is a banjo and guitar picking. You didn't really throw it to me there. You <laughs> need to work on that transition, friend. Bad pass. <laughs> Charlie Marks, he is a banjo and guitar picking folk singer from outside of Reno, Nevada. And I can't wait to dive into this. This is going to be so much fun to talk about. But Charlie blends together traditional and original folk tunes to weave together heartfelt stories. Charlie is also a poet, a writer, and an aspiring chicken farmer. So lots to talk about today. I can't wait to dive in here. Let's do it. How did you get your start, Charlie? Thanks for having me on. So... I always kind of had this idea that I wanted to sing and play music. I was always really drawn to singing. I, I think I was a bit of an isolated, maybe felt like a bit of a lonesome child. And if I sang lo- loud enough, people would have to listen to me. And people would joke that I sounded like Bob Dylan. And what they meant was, please stop singing. <laughs> and uh, Which now I, I'll go to bat any day and I'll bring out whatever recording of Bob Dylan and show you how fantastic of a singer he is. But Uh, I was like a pretty depressed 22-year-old when I was graduating college, and I saw that Coen Brothers movie, Inside Lewin Davis, and I don't know if you've seen that one, but it's kind of like based on the life of Dave Von Ronk, who, well, loosely based around like him as a character. He was like Bob Dylan's uncle during the Greenwich Village folk revival. And uh, I went home and I started learning some of these old folk tunes. And I guess I was probably about 10 years ago now. And it took me five or six years to kind of start figuring it out. I go play open mics and whatnot. And um, one day, maybe five or six years ago, I, I saw a music shop going out of business and I went in and I bought a banjo. It was half off, but they'd also marked it up double. So I just bought it for <laughs> what it was worth, like, you know, starter $200 kind of thing. And my, when I got home, Jenna, my fiance now, I was like, just looking at me like, what, <laughs> what you did you do? <laughs> um, but for whatever reason, uh, there's this old time style of banjo called claw hammer. Instead of doing the finger rolls like the bluegrass guys do, I kind of almost drum on the on the banjo it it goes back to it's an old like african folk style playing that kind of made its way over to the americas and was one of the like kind of foundational instrumental styles up until the early 1900s when other forms of music kind of started blowing up but i just found like something clicked and everything just started rolling and i started performing more and then when the pandemic allowed it to happen i started touring a lot and for the last couple of years i've just been on the road playing shows i put out a bunch of albums and just trying to make it happen trying to try to make it work there For you sure. go. that's awesome wow you opened up so many doors that i want to walk through um i mean first and foremost the style of banjo picking that you're talking about like that you said isn't something that's done more recently in mainstream music 
I mean, that that's huge for someone to pick up a sound that isn't regularly heard. So maybe that's why we were kind of drawn to bring you onto the show and listening to your music. It's a different style. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I think my a friend of mine who played banjo. I'd play with him sometimes at the cafe that we worked at. And uh, when I got the banjo, I told him, and he was like, "You should learn Clawhammer." And when he said that, I think he was like, like like was sending me down a path that was like a little bit not a joke but like he oh, was yeah. pulling my leg a little bit <laughs> but i was just like this is perfect it's like the most fun it's traditionally dance music like if you think just like having a party in your backyard it goes perfect with the fiddle and there are plenty of people who do it it's just yeah when you think of like the banjo today you think of a lot of like bluegrass and you, you think of a certain sound that isn't quite what i do but it's a tradition that people have been keeping going the whole time. There's lots of amazing claw hammer banjo players, and I, I kind of prefer it to the kind of bluegrassy sound. So for sure, that's, that's awesome. awesome. So, so I one of the things you said was twenty two year old graduating college depression. So you yeah. so you kind of went you went through some mental health issues. Oh yeah, because uh, I I did myself. I I actually hospitalized myself for five days for OCD. So okay. I know what that's like. But what you know? Would you mind you, sharing your experience? Yeah, if that's okay. Yeah. And, I, and what did what you do to kind of break out of it? Because a lot of people need to hear stories from people like you and I that are stories of victory over mental illness. Yeah, what's a good starting place? Because like, as part of my sets, like, it's a lot of what I talk about and what I do. I've almost been trying to shift my sets to be a little bit, not always just solely about like mental health. But because yeah. <laughs> uh, I put out an album called Unbecoming for anybody who'd want to kind of dive into some of my music. It's kind of like my album that was about navigating mental health, but. I think that throughout most of my life, I kind of, I, you know, growing up in the U.S., I, I feel like we kind of get raised with this idea of like, you can kind of be anything or do anything, but all of a sudden you kind of look around and nobody is being a whole lot of anything besides like, well, go to college, get your job, or just like struggle, like, go, yeah. like just barely get by. And so you have all these ideas of like, I don't know. I, I feel like I got, I was in a spot where I was filled with like lots of ideas. What's a, what's a good way of putting it? When I was young, I feel like my rather generally conservative, like, like pro probably Reagan style politics, suburban Midwest household. I felt like I got to read a lot of books as a kid. And I feel like to use a a phrase i got red pilled very early on in my life like you're you know i'm reading like ursula Le Guin and kurt vonnegut and and all these authors where like you start to like feel like the world we're living in doesn't make a lot of sense and that it's kind <laughs> of oppressive to a lot of us and that there's not really a path forward i could probably do a long rant right now about how america killed david foster wallace and i'm like still mad about it <laughs> and i think for me i had a bit of this culture shock growing up in a slightly conservative space but kind of like stepping into a lot of these like i don't know like 
left-leaning and spiritual practices. Like I, like many other people, read like Hess's Siddhartha in high school, and all of a sudden I was like, the world as I know it is not what I thought it was, which is me every single day now, just in a better headspace. I'm taking a while to get to something that feels like a linear way of talking about this. But when I was around 22, I just didn't see a path forward. I was about to graduate college and I couldn't really imagine what the next day of my life or the next week or month looked like. All like I manically tried on lots of things. I randomly moved out to the Bay Area to like try and be a startup computer programmer and totally bottomed out and had like a mental breakdown 3,000 miles away from where I grew up. And and I kind of just like had this moment where I moved kind of by choice. I, I had the option to not do this, which I think is important. But when I was like 23, I, I moved into my car. And that first night that I slept in my car was the first night since I was a little kid that I just slept great. I fell asleep at like 8 p.m., and I normally was up till 3 a.m. just like with insomnia. Yep. Um, and from there, I just kind of like, I don't know, I gave myself some permission to float, had the privilege that I was able to kind of float. I I traveled around in my car for a while and just like found some cafe jobs and, and slowly like kind of started incorporating things into my life that felt like they worked. I feel like it took like five or six years to really start getting into a path that started feeling good. And I feel like I always struggled with anxiety. I had the privilege to go to grad school. And I think, wow, this is, this is a tough one to, because it's like our lives are very complicated and to like think about our health, our mental health, like is often this like narrative that's happening in between the lines for if someone's asking what your life is like. And I feel like I just didn't have a vision for like, now I can maybe say, I feel like I didn't have a vision for what it looked like to be an adult. And by adult, yeah. I mean an older person. I just mean like, like, like to be myself and to move through the world as myself. And mm-hmm. I've kind of fallen into a lot of, I don't know, like spiritual mystic things. I'm currently like going through this journey of like reconnecting with Torah as a Jewish person and kind of taking a lot of inspiration from like reading Eastern spiritualism. And that's been like a big part of the journey for me. I like had this realization very recently in the last year or so that I'd always been like kind of gravitating towards the like spiritual mystic aspects of life. And I hadn't ever given myself permission to do so unironically or not secretly. Right. So now I get on stage and I bewilders me sometimes, but I'm like talking about like a story from the Ramayana to explain why I'm I'm about to sing a song to you and the river symbolism and the boot. It's like, (laughs) wild like it's kind of strange to be that person now because i think i was always supposed to but it's so different than what anyone could have asked me to have been in this life and i think that's what can be really hard when it comes to mental health is like in my view our mental health is just 
a reflection of how close we are to being the person that we actually are. Um, does the person on the inside match the person on the outside and are, are people, because people's expectations of you are like a weight that gets yes. put on. I was yeah. going to say that. Do you think that, you know, possibly your issues could have stemmed from like our society of being, you got to go to school. You got to go, you got to go get a job right after college. You got to go be this computer guy because that's what all the rich people are doing, you know, things of that nature. It's like a, it's like people are putting this expectation on you. Society is putting this expectation on you and they don't even know you. <laughs> well, I think it's even like more folded in than that because it almost becomes you have a disassociation with self, right? Like you're like, this is not who I want to be, but right. society as a whole is pressuring me into it. Yeah. I got to go to school because everybody in school has told me that I got to keep going to school. Yeah. But you're like, no, 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 no. That's not <laughs> let me. me. Let me figure out me. And then come. Yeah, that's powerful, Charlie. Seriously, that to understand that you need that in your life at an early age, that that's powerful. It's like, you know, independence of your mind and what you want to do isn't talked about enough. Everybody is funneled into these boxes, you know? Yep. And then once we're funneled in there, we feel like we have to stay in that box. And that's not good for you. No, it's it's not good for anybody because when you find yourself in a box, I don't want to get like too far off because I, I had another thing I was going <laughs> to say too. But when we get funneled into boxes, when we kind of look at the world and like all of the like chaos going on, it's you can almost see like the boxes fighting with each other. Oh, yeah. The, the, like, I mean, we can... Factions, right? <laughs> yeah, faction. <laughs> but it's, it's like a box of your spirit and your... But not to like go too far down that one, but it made me think of when I I was a postdoc at the University of Nevada, Reno, up until about a year and a half ago. And almost two years ago now, my partner sat me down because I was having mental breakdowns every Sunday, Sunday scaries, standard stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, For sure. Turning, it was turning into the Monday meltdowns. And we just had this talk where she basically told me to write down everything that I wanted out of like what I wanted my day each day to look like what I wanted my life to look like. And as we kind of went through that, it was like very clear that all of those pressures of like, go to school, get this job, do this thing weren't fitting right. or weren't allowing the things that needed to happen to happen. And so I'm very lucky, I think to be rather young and to like go through a lot of these growth, but I also like, don't know if I would have, come to this place without a support of a partner not that it i think has to be like a like romantic partner who is that person for people but i think being being community with people who support you and actually care about you and not the idea of you is very very yeah for sure no there's two things that you said there i mean i think writing like people who journal that it helps people with anxiety. Absolutely. That is one thing that they tell you to do, right. Is to write down an emergency plan or write down something that brings you to a sense that you're back in control, quote unquote, Um, Mm -hmm. but also to have the support system. So uh, that's absolutely, I think everything that you should do. And it sounds like you found that almost organically. 
Yeah, I'm, I think I'm very fortunate. I made the joke about being red pilled very early in life. I, for whatever reason, was lucky that I feel like I always had a decent compass for not getting dragged too deep into the mud, even when I was really deep in the mud. And, but yeah, I fortunately also found a partner who yanks me out. <laughs> <laughs> I know we know what you mean. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For, sure. for sure. For sure. Well, I want to jump back to the idea of you being, are you currently in Reno or is that your hometown? What, how does Reno fit into <laughs> yeah, the we, story? I mean, we moved to Reno. We're about an hour north, though, like our post office says that we oh, live wow. in Reno. But we're about an hour north of town. During the pandemic, we would walk around. I was in grad school in San Diego, and that's where I met Jenna. And we would walk around during the pandemic and look at all the houses and say, like, that porch is really nice. Or, like, this is nice. We want this. We want this. And I think maybe in the, like, fever dream that was existing during the pandemic, we, like, got the chutzpah move out into the country just try and do it without having any idea what we were doing and <laughs> that is like kind of what i have an album and song called three years time and it was just about how when you if you want it was the line in the songs if you want your garden to grow and you've never done it before it's gonna take you three years time and it just kind of comes from this idea of like when you try and do something really big, really new, especially gardening was like a, just a very specific example, but mm -hmm. building a home and kind of doing it on your own and in your own way, it takes a long time to like figure it out. And you have to be really patient with that process. So our home has kind of come to symbolize what we're doing with our lives, which I think yeah. is good. I think our homes are supposed to be the symbol of what we're doing with our lives. So, well, and, and your fulfillment, you know, you mm -hmm. it take it, yeah, three years, but you have a home and your garden grew <laughs> and your well, chicken farming. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been joking. The chickens are are working, but I've been joking on stage because it has been three years now that I'm gonna have to rename the album four years time. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. yeah, Re-release it, re revision, or you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, one of the reasons why I'm asking about Reno, Nevada, is because a lot of my extended family are folk singers, not anywhere near to the caliber that you are, <laughs> meaning that they oh. haven't recorded or anything, but <laughs> they are all from, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee. So this is the first time I'm meeting a fellow folk singer from Nevada. <laughs> it just. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, I, I grew up in Ohio, but I say that with, that didn't help me get exposed to folk music. For sure. I take a lot of inspiration from folk musicians from the Carolinas and from Kentucky folks like banjo players like Roscoe Holcomb and Ola Bell Reed who are from kind of the south then there's that area it's like the Blue Ridge Mountain it's like southeast Kentucky northeast Tennessee and western North Carolina all meet and that is like this musical in American history and a lot of the music that I've been exposed to that's kind of informed what I do is from there but though i need to add that lately i've been listening to like almost solely 1970s texas singer songwriters there you go <laughs> so my sound is 
fine now, like it's fun watching things shift but the like music of appalachia is is something that i've been both deeply drawn to i learned how to play the guitar basically by learning Libba cotton songs who is from outside of Asheville, or i think she was from outside of Asheville. she lived there at some point i, I don't want to uh, not a historian i but i try my best <laughs> <laughs> we won't quote you <laughs> no. No. this is this is the unholy union podcast it's there's a lot of you know, fake news. He's <laughs> <laughs> not one. Well, no, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Well, I guess to that point, though, what about the genre is drawing you in? You're, you know, you say that the folk music is kind of what you are drawn to, but what about it exactly? Do you feel is drawing you in? Yeah. Why'd you choose that over country? Every, everything or, else. Well, bluegrass. Well, I have lived a lot just thinking mental health in social isolation up until quite recently. And so folk music was something I could do in that place of being okay. And by alone, like part of it's a self, like it's a mix of like not having folks around me and a mix of maybe self sabotage and, you know, keep like not knowing how to leave that state but it kind of like suited well for spending a lot of time with my instruments and then part of it is i always kind of sang in this way that i like really threw all of my energy into it like i was borderline yelling when i was a kid younger and when i first heard roscoe holcomb sing in particular his sound is no they refer to it as a high lonesome sound and it kind of comes from the like a, a, a church tradition the pentecostal church in appalachia and the way that they'd sing with this like really intense no harmonic just clear notes like probably singing an octave higher than you would suggest most people sing and it's just all out and it was something that i was kind of already doing on my own to like many people's chagrin and i kind of found a way into play like i I kind of saw myself reflected back to me in that music Um, and i've been learning to sing more quietly and nicely but (laughs) my foundation is still hollering and belted out yeah and so like i can hear my sound shifting closer to a country-ish sound and that's a little bit because like i'm obsessively listening to guy clark for the last year and a half and i don't know if you listen (laughs) to guy clark at all but that'll do it but but and and also like we're in this moment where country music is like right in the front of our like kind of mainstream culture right now yes when I travel around to play music, I'm almost exclusively, not exclusively, there's plenty of non-country folk singers who are fantastic, who are doing the thing, but it's a lot of country music. And so that exposure, it's funny, we're like in this moment where maybe like everyone associates banjo with bluegrass, but we're in this moment where country is like very alive and vibrant. So I think we're going to just going to push into the next question. Does your poetry and your writing feed your music? Well, it's interesting because, like, I'm not a great... I wouldn't, like, classify myself as being a spectacular lyricist. 
I am very proud of the songs I write, but I tend to just like pick up a guitar and then I'm like strumming and then I start singing something. I'm like, that's a good line. And then a whole song comes out of it. But a lot of the poetry, just like talking about being like kind of on the spiritual journey, a lot of my poetry, when I, I, I used to write a lot of poems, they're generally like self-reflective. A lot of them are like navigating what we were talking about earlier, like you have these expectations on you, but then it's like negatively impacting health and how do you like push through that and or how do you just like name what's happening because that's one of the things that's so painful about like mental health stuff is it's hard to name what's going on and nobody else views it as being real and you barely use but i went down academia rabbit hole got a phd was doing a postdoc i didn't write a word for five or six years and after i stopped working I just like something happened where all of the sudden, like it was like I could, it was almost nauseating. I like couldn't stop writing. And I often joke one of the like ways I like to describe how I write is I call them, or we kind of call them my like cow in the field moments because outside of our house, there's a pasture where there's a lot of cows. And while I was working my postdoc, I was watching these cows one day and I was like, these cows look so happy and I'm really miserable (laughs) or just like not, not doing that great. Like mentally, I'm like very anxious and I'm struggling. And this valley we have, we're like Nevada desert mountains. So it's all sagebrush, but then in the bottom of the valley, there's water accumulates and grass grows. And I just had this thought of like, oh, it's because their environment suits them. They're, They're in a field of grass. They probably wouldn't be having this wonderful existence. They were like on top of that mountain over there where it snows and there's no grass. We're going to college. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they probably walk back to this field if they have the choice. So I kind of like, I don't know, like a lot of my writing is these like really intense feelings I get. In in that moment, the intense feeling was like our environment. If our environment doesn't suit us, there's there's little chance that we're going to thrive or we're going to have to work really hard to thrive and that might not last so long. And so a lot of my writing poetry and essays are kind of like me grappling with like my own spirituality. I think it it kind of evolved from like thinking about mental health and how to live well into being more explicitly spiritual in nature. And that's kind of what I bring into a lot of my sets now in between songs is just kind of, I don't know, like a lot of people talk about society and like what's wrong with it because there's, apparently a lot of things wrong with it you just like watch tv or listen to the radio it's very clear and like the last year has been this journey of just being like well it kind of feels like spirituality and not i'm not talking about religion because religion can be a space for spirituality but it just feels like there's no explicit spiritual life in our culture it's like it's almost like I don't know if it's even now I'm always talking about like my spiritual life. So I don't know if it's like if people are all doing that, but if, if it's like what it was like before I was always talking about spirituality, then it's just like not something that's like a big part of our discourse and dialogue, especially if you might be in like a more like, like I was like a liberally, like we believe in science kind of space. I don't know. I grew up around friends who are like atheism's cool. And I'm not trying to be here to like 
is prophetize the right word uh, <laughs> evangelize for uh, anything but it's it's i feel like a lot of the there's a big connection between these dialogues about mental health and lack of a dialogue around spirituality because i i think spirituality is like kind of this art of being s- like aware of who you are and your connection with the world around you centered and yeah no, I, I I totally get that. My wife and I, <laughs> we always talk about how spiritual, the lack of spirituality in this country, it has to have something to do with mental illness. Because to me, when we talk about spirituality, I think about religion and we're Christians. And I always think like, my belief is that there's something after So that gives me a little bit of medicine towards mental health because I'm like, I might be struggling right now, but I'm not going to be struggling forever. Well, and I think we also talk beyond that even further and say that there's also a morality issue with a lot of the country or the world even. And if we're not Mm -hmm. striving to find our own morals and try to live by those, it doesn't have to be religion, right? But if you don't have any morals, then what what kind of society do you live in, right? And that that goes along with turning that TV on. It's depressing to turn the TV on because we don't Mm -hmm. have morals. And morals doesn't, like you just said, it doesn't have to be a religious thing. Mm -hmm. Just be a good person. Well, find the person that is you and then live it, right? Right. Like, you don't have to be exactly this made up thing (laughs) or live by any certain code as long as it fits you, right? Like, it's all about a morality you can live by that fits you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yes. We could go all day. Well, you know, there's like two themes there that I think come up. And one is like living well as an individual. How do you have a life that feels good to live and that you feel good about living? And then there's this other one that's like about morality, which is like, how do we interact with one another? And I'm trying to figure out where to go with it. But I've been thinking a lot. I've been reading. I kind of started. So Judaism, and I think this is the truth with a lot of religions, is kind of a book club. You you pick up the Old Testament, the Torah, at the beginning of the year, and you read the whole thing. And that's what a year is. And at the beginning of the next year, you read it again. So when the new year came around this year, I started reading. And I got really, I've been like, I feel like I've been getting like so much out of it this time going through. And I'm not doing it with anybody else, really. You know, so it doesn't feel religious so much as my thing that's happening but i've been reading i keep reading the sodom and gomorrah story and i'm like very convinced that it has a lot of good things in it and i just wanted to share one of those because like i feel like everyone thinks about the like sexual depravity aspect of that story and i i don't think that's really the point but the two words that i think come up when it comes to morality is this idea of righteousness and this idea of wickedness and i think in we live in such a like I don't know, lazy time where like righteous means good and wicked means evil and good means righteous and evil means wicked. It's like, we we don't know what those words mean. And the more I read it, I feel like I'm just getting this feeling of like righteousness and goodness is just living a life that fosters life around you. 
And that sets up the next generation for that too. And wickedness is just everything else. It's just anything that doesn't promote life and doesn't promote life across generations. I was listening to this podcast where they were talking about the uh, Iroquois Confederacy, which was like the very awesome government that the like many of the tribes in the Northeast had before the bad things happened, as yep. history has us know. But there was a concept there in which all laws that were passed had to consider seven generations in the future. What is the impact of this law? And that sums up better than what I was trying to say, what I've been getting just reading the the Bible lately, where it's just, just like, and I think a lot of our morality is just like missing our connection with each other and missing our connection yeah. with, I don't know, the future. And it's, it's yeah. hyper-focused on, I want it now. Instant gratification. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. With zero, zero thought about what that can do later on. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that kind of goes into our next question. <laughs> all right. I mean, what does, what do you feel like uh, with your spiritual journey that you're on right now and all the things that are essentially feeding your inspiration? Where do you think or how do you think your music will sound within the next five years? Where do you think your music will take you? Whoa. Well, I- <laughs> Well, it's it's gotten, I think, a lot more joyful <laughs> recently. I've, I've been putting together the next thing I'm working on, and I do a lot of solo recordings. I would love to be able to bring in. I have a lot of great friends who are awesome musicians who have gotten to play shows with and tour with, and I'd really love to do something because everything I've done so far is just kind of me, and that's a little bit a product of the style I play, but also like where I am in the career path i've been joking and not joking but like i feel like peak age for a folk musician is like 56 and i'm 31 (laughs) so you know there's like there's a certain function of how much support do you have to like create art and right now i'm kind of in this space where creating art is an at-home diy kind of thing and have the support of some awesome people who've really helped me on that path. But the things I'm making right now are kind of evolving to being a bit more joyful. I mentioned my one of my first albums of original my first album of like original music is called Unbecoming. And that's just like navigating mental health and kind of this unweaving of myself from expectations. I was about to I was about to ask if you've read the Nietzsche story that spoke Zarathustra. No, I can't. I can't even pronounce that. (laughs) It's okay. Um, (laughs) Tell us more. In the story, there's this like metamorphosis in which you're a child, but then as life kind of goes on, he starts. You start getting the weights of society placed on your back, and so your first metamorphosis is you become the camel. And as the camel, you're very proud of yourself for all of the expectations you can carry, and then. When you're getting a little bit older, you start realizing all these expectations and weights are actually quite oppressive and they start weighing you down and you're struggling to make it through each day. And then you kind of evolve and you realize those weights are actually a dragon and you have to kind of become a lion and fight that dragon. And that album for me was about kind of, oh, and then the idea is once you win the fight with the with the dragon, you get to be yourself again. (laughs) Like you get to just live your life without the weight of expectations of other people. Um, And I, 
that's like a journey that it really resonated with me. Might have it like tattooed on me. (laughs) (laughs) But I say all that to say that a lot of my early songwriting was like kind of intense in that way. Recording error, open recording tab to learn more. It looks good on our end. I got to I got to your device is out of storage. <laughs> uh oh. My device. <laughs> well, it's still recording, right? Yeah, you're, we're still good. You should be okay. All right. Yeah. So anyway, that was a long way of saying a lot of my songwriting <laughs> was coming from a rather intense introspective place. And now, um I'm I feel like a lot of my writing is coming from like I a lot of like joy in my life. So it's Good. been a fun transition though. I'm grateful for what I've written because it keeps me grounded, I think. So, yeah. So I wanted to ask you kind of how the industry works now, because I don't know all the nitty gritty. Well, you're on Spotify. So what do you think? I know there's a lot of musicians out there that think Spotify and streaming platforms such as Spotify are kind of a net negative for the mu- music industry. What do you what do you think about that? Because I feel like especially with small artists, that's a good discovery platform. But so, when you get bit cuz like I'll just say her name, Swift uh-huh. I'm pretty sure she's not a big fan of all these streaming platforms. I can't remember, but I feel like she may have gotten into tiff with Apple Music for streaming and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I don't know a lot about her story. I think she is doing well enough that, like, I don't know if I. It's not that I just don't. I, I don't care. Like, I, I for sure. I'm just saying, like, for, for somebody like yourself, do you see Spotify and their business model of, So I don't know, I, I read like, somewhere that there's pen, they pay you pennies per play or something like that, but, you know. Is, I mean, it's less, than, it's less than a penny per play. That being said, I probably am in, I don't know what percentage of musicians are vocal, because, you know, it's like very, a lot of people are fighting for better pay for musicians and then there's things like merch cuts at venues right um, that, that's like a big topic and i there's a i probably am i don't know if it's the unpopular opinion but i probably like wouldn't go around just like talking about how i feel about this because but i i, I think i lean more towards what you were describing which is like i can just get my music out to anybody and it doesn't mean that I'm always succeeding at that task. Um, right. But we found you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, and, and the internet and all of that has provided a really amazing platform for getting music out. I think sometimes as a musician, it's a little overwhelming that it's so easy. Like I did it. I did it by myself. Everyone's doing it by themselves. There's 19 billion music songs on Spotify. It's like, how do you navigate that? I think folks who worry about how much money you get from it, like back in the day with radio plays, there was like a hundred songs being played on the radio and they were splitting up radio revenue between like a hundred songs. And the part of me that when people talk about wanting bigger pay is for streams, which I'm all for because I would like to be paid more, but I'm just like, where's that money coming from? 
for sure because now there's just more songs there's more streams there's more things being played and obviously people are paying money to right to get i just i just don't know how they how somebody if it was still buy go buy a cd how do you find new people you know how do you discover artists at all because People don't go in there to buy a CD from somebody. They have no idea who it is. They go in there because they know, oh, so-and-so released a new album. I'm going to go buy it. Yeah, and if that that is, though, a good segue just to say that if you do really like an artist, the best way to get money in their pocket, besides just literally sending them money, is to buy their merch. That is the best. So for me, if like you wanted money to be in my pocket, buying my merch is the best way to do it or like buying my CDs. That said, if you stream my music online, I'm like really grateful and really happy to to know that that's the case because it's it's hard. Someone's listening. Yeah. And I think like if you want to make it playing music, I, I, I unless because there is like a whole world of music and i this is just something that i'm not here to like be a grumpy old folk musician that's not why i'm saying this but i just i don't really get the world of music that isn't performed like there's a lot of music out there that isn't really performed live and i'm really drawn to music as like a way of creating a third space for people to gather and oh yeah to be in community with each other and i that's also what I've learned is if you want to kind of, if if, you, if there's an inspiring folk musician on here, I think you need to play shows in person. That's literally where, you, one, it's the most fun thing to do as a folk musician, but it's also where you can actually make money. So for sure, for sure. I mean, it's also where you so can well. get taken advantage of, but. Uh, <laughs> well. <laughs> All right. Well, I think the question that we ask everyone to kind of round out our interviews here is what would you do tomorrow if you won $10 million tonight? I would, I would sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. So you're, you're Russ's spirit animal right now. (laughs) It's my favorite Um, thing. Oh my God. So what was it? I have to take some stuff to the, dump which is like an hour and a half away <laughs> and i feel like i would be so much happier to do that chore um, if you had 10 million dollars in the bank yeah i'd be like <laughs> yeah let's like let's go to the dump i also got the i just got a 10 percent warning on my phone battery which is probably ill-advised of me to be on my phone right now but with the video or the podcast i guess that feels like breaking the fourth wall in a weird way or something You're good. <laughs> But yeah, no, I have an album I want to make. Like, dude, if if I had ten million dollars, you would not hear from me for a little while. I would just enjoy like being at home and like cooking food. We would, me and Jenna would just probably take a sabbatical. Just there you go. Um, there you go. Keep doing what we're doing, but not the parts that we don't like. So uh, for sure. <laughs> Ten million dollars will cut that the the bad parts out. That's that's for sure. Yeah, I'd, so, I'd buy it. I'd, I'd to be more fun. I'd get a telescope 
I'd get a kiln. I've been getting kind of into pottery, but it's kind of expensive. I probably actually wouldn't get a kiln. I'd probably make one because that'd be more fun. And I'd have $10 million, so I wouldn't need to work. So I could just figure that out. Right. Uh, <laughs> I want to build a sauna in my front yard. By $10 million, I'd build a sauna in my front yard. I feel like I'd still have like 9.8 million. 9. <laughs> After that. Five. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you got to yeah. remember all the interest you'll be making on that too. So it'd be kind of hard to spend. That's for sure. At least quickly. Yeah. 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 I'd make a home Depot run is what I'm trying to say. There you <laughs> go. I like it. I like it. You'll clear out all that stuff that you got to take to the dump in your, in, you know, in your trailer. And then you'd fill it up with, with, with new stuff. Exactly. Well, where can people find you, Charlie? Yeah. On um, social media, website. Anything yeah. of that nature. Uh, you can find me. My Instagram is Charlie underscore Marks underscore music. Uh, I got a website, charliemarksmusic.com. You can find all my music on Spotify, Apple. For a while, I wasn't on Amazon because I was taking this big stand against corporate America. That was my stand I was taking. But then I accidentally uploaded one of my albums and I don't know how to take it off. So <laughs> you know, too. Um, they don't want you to take it off. Right. <laughs> so... And then, and then if I tour a fair bit, I have like a bands in town where I post all of my shows and yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. We, I, this was fun. I would talk to you guys more. Um, oh yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. We'll <laughs> have think. you back for Absolutely. sure. Um, yeah. I, and you'll, we'll put all these links in the show notes so that you can find Charlie easily. Instead of trying to write this down while you're driving. No. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. Don't do that. But yeah, we thank you for, for joining us today and we'll we'll invite you back soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Unholy Union Podcast. For more Unholy Union content, check out our social media at Unholy Union Cast on Instagram and Twitter. We also have Facebook and TikTok. Want to support the podcast? Rock some merch. Check out our merchandise store on our site at unholyunionpodcast.com. Again, thank you for listening, and we hope to have you back next week. It's what you do with things you love.